Hey friends, welcome to the Reconstructing Prayer podcast, a one-season, short-run podcast series where I sit down with leading Christian intellectuals and I interview them on the intersection between theological deconstruction and spiritual formation. I'm Andrew Ray Williams, the author of a newly released book entitled Reconstructing Prayer Beyond Deconstructing Your Faith, published by Cascade Books. I'm really excited about today's conversation, so let's go ahead and get right into it. Today I get to talk with my friend A.J. Swoboda. He is an assistant professor of Bible, theology, and world Christianity at Bushnell University. He also leads a Doctor of Ministry program around the Holy Spirit and Leadership at Fuller Theological Seminary. He got his PhD from the University of Birmingham in the UK, and he's the author of a number of books, including the award-winning Subversive Sabbath, and most recently, After Doubt. I really think you're going to enjoy this episode with my friend, AJ Swoboda. AJ, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you on. Andrew, you kidding me? What a joy. What an honor to be with you. Well, thank you. The honor's all mine. And uh, I, I mentioned in our intro a little bit about you, um, how you, where you teach, and um, that you've written some books. Tell us some more about who you are, just personally. Mm. Do you have any professional stuff you want to throw in there as well? You know, I'm really a renaissance man in my own generation, Andrew. There's very few like me. I'm I'm a real gem. I, I mean, you're <laughs> you're with a real unique character today. Little did you know. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I I I, I teach. I, I teach here in, at Bushnell University in Eugene. Teach Bible and theology, and I get to do some writing and uh, love teaching. And I run a doctor ministry program that I really really love. Um, but mostly, the most important stuff would be counted in the realm of being a husband uh, coming up on two decades and a and a dad to the coolest kid in the universe. And we've got twelve chickens. So I don't know what else you need to know. No, but the, the, the 12 chickens, it's a great time because we're recording this in spring. <clears throat> and um, and all of our chickens, by the way, are named after Star Wars characters. So like Hen Solo, um, Chew, uh, Chewbacca, uh, all these sort of really <laughs> cute little Star Wars names. But they are <clears throat> in full-on lay mode right now. So spring, they're all laying. So we get like 12 eggs a day. Oh, wow. A little less than that, but it's awesome. Oh, my cholesterol level always goes higher in the summer and spring. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's great. So we're recording this just a few days after um, May the 4th be with you in May. So yeah. do you guys have like a special celebration for your chickens? You know, we're non-observant. Um, okay. We're non-observant okay. when it comes to May, May, uh, May 4th. But we, um, but we really should consider, um, we should reconsider that because I it is a it's a special holiday and for chicken owners that have star wars themed chickens yes, i think it's it's absolutely. appropriate yeah absolutely well thanks man for being here um and thank you for the generous foreword that you gave my recent book i mean yes a lot. oh my gosh and uh i really really appreciated that um and you know one of the reasons that i wanted to talk to you in general and especially the reason i wanted to have you give the foreword to this book is because of your great book after doubt oh, and nice. um i'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about <laughs> your book after doubt and 
it'll kind of get us into the conversation about what we want to talk about today. Yeah, I'd love to talk about my book, but it should be stated your book, Reconstructing Prayer, was um was was breathtaking. It was brilliant. I generally speaking don't like reading books about prayer. Um, they can tend to be a bit um a bit too, I don't know. I often walk away feeling like the same way that I feel when I walk into a uh, a 24, like a, like a, like a, a workout gym. I just walk away feeling like a failure and I didn't feel that with your book. It was an invitation to the deep things of God. And, um, it was an honor to write the forward for it. Right. My book after doubt. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. It's a, it's a book about essentially, uh, the, the, the title is after doubt. Subtitle is, um, how to question your faith without losing it. The big idea really behind the book is that a very integral and important part of a lifelong disciples journey to following Jesus is that they will walk through a season of deep questioning of their faith and that this when appropriately uh, walked through can actually end up making us into the coolest people ever who love Jesus like crazy. Um, And so in in a lot of respects, it's a response to um, what you and I would call the word deconstruction is sort of a response to what a, the way of faithfulness through that experience looks like. And sadly, uh, in my humble estimation, often treatments on the topic of doubt and deconstruction tend to be either on one hand, the kind of demonization of doubt and deconstruction that if you do it, you're not a Christian. And the other side, that's almost a, um, almost a side that seems to require deconstruction for you to follow Jesus. I think both those paths are just garbage. Essentially, that's my theological term for it. Um, <laughs> and that there is a better way. And the better way is uh, the way of Thomas in the New Testament. It's the way of Job. It's the way of um, countless millions and millions and millions of Christians through history who have seen their doubts and their struggles as a means through which to follow Jesus. Love it. And I have given... <clears throat> copies of your book to a few people. Um, It's really, really, it it does strike that balance. Um, As someone who is just a reader, it's it's a great book. Highly recommend it. And, you know, before we get to talking a little bit about why questioning and wrestling with our faith can actually be a good thing, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, get your perspective on why deconstruction or questioning our faith is so in vogue at the moment. Well, there's there's so many answers to that. One would be um, there is there is a weird. So I think actually on a on like a historic level uh, at our moment in history in the in America, largely in the West, um, is that the West is going through uh, a a season of time where it is shredding the past. And when I say shredding the past, what I mean is we have such a high view of the present. Actually, the word that's been used is presentism or recency bias. Um, It's the idea that right now we really have arrived and anything else is sort of uh, is backwater and uh, and 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 sort of reflects something that's wrong. So in the West, there's been this element of like doing away with the past, doing, you know, shredding, shredding the past, Um, which of course is such a dangerous approach. And and all you need to do is take an undergraduate class at any major university and you'll get 
that famous George Sentinaya print uh, quote given to you that those that don't remember history tend to repeat it. The reality is a people that don't have memory often have the ugliest futures. Um, and so I think there's a cultural level. I think we're just, we're sort of shredding the past and we see, I think a lot of people in our world see Christianity as a relic from the past. Mm. Um, I think there's another element to it. We have such a high view of personal choice and uh, we're hedonists. We really love pleasure and we enjoy getting to do what we like and what makes us feel good. And Christianity reflects a uh, reflects a critique of that. And we don't like people that tell us that we don't get everything we want. And so, yeah, people people that want everything everything that they've ever wanted tend to not like Christianity because <laughs> it's hard it's hard to carry across and then say yeah. I got everything I wanted. Um, and I think thirdly um, is there's an element at which the church has um, failed in its vocational calling uh, to understand the developmental nature of faith, and that is that um, we have young people who are largely um, forced to believe in Jesus. And then they go to college and they find themselves feeling as though they never got to make the choice. And so at some point they kind of undo it and uh, feel like they need to run away the opposite direction. So there's a lot of different elements to it that, that kind of all come together at the same time in a place you and I call TikTok and largely uh, everything that we've seen um, in this moment in time has a, a precedent. It came from somewhere. It didn't just come from nowhere. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Yeah, what about you? Did you ever go through a time of deconstruction or wrestling with your faith? Yeah, about every week uh, would be a pretty normal <laughs> week for me. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's weird that we uh, we. There, there's a weird strain. I'm an evangelical. I'm a, I'm a charismatic evangelical. I'm completely comfortable in those terms. Uh, I'm a charismatic evangelical. I believe, Andrew, with every part of my soul and being, that scripture is trustworthy and true, through and through, uh, that Jesus is the only way to God, that we need the church desperately. Um, I am committed to the core teachings of um you know, I'd say healthy Protestant Protestantism. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Protestant. Um, but for some odd reason, <clears throat> there's a strain of conservative evangelical thought that seems to believe the sign that you're truly sanctified and holy is that you never change your mind. Hmm. Uh, there was, I remember there was an article a number of years ago uh, during the Trump era, and the article was uh, mean, "Being Evangelical Means Never Having to Say That You're Sorry" was the title of the article. It was basically an article saying that um, one of the weird kind of embodiments of a lot of evangelical spirituality is like we know and we don't ever change our mind. And I, I just don't, I don't see that in the Bible in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I think we're invited to constantly repent. Uh, metanoia to change your mind it's the greek word for for repent it is we are called to constantly change our mind in order to follow jesus because we are either going to follow our thoughts about god or we are going to follow god and the fall the call of christian is not to follow our ideas about god in fact we have a word for following our theology it's called idolatry our call is to follow jesus and jesus alone and sometimes when you follow jesus you figure out your ideas about God have been wrong. 
And so part of following Jesus is our love of God over our ideas of God. Yeah, no, that's, that's so good. And I think I, I agree with you. And that's been my experience as well. You know, this is something I talk a little bit about in the book is that ultimately, if we're following God and God is infinite, mm-hmm. then there's infinitely an infinite amount of information and experiences to have with God. And inevitably, the more and more and more we we know God, the more and more we are able to be exposed at the areas in which we have yes. been wrong about God. It's dawned on me, and this is kind of a newer reflection. I don't think I've shared this in any public forum. It does dawn on me this conversation, what I just shared, could easily lend itself to a kind of pluralism that says any way goes. Um, and what I mean by that is, well, if our thoughts about wrong, God can be wrong, then that must mean any way can be right to God. And I, I, I want to, I want to say that no, actually, the the goal of the Christian life is following Jesus and following Jesus and Jesus alone. And but when I look at the Gospels, there are many stories in which the disciples follow Jesus in unique and different ways. For example, I love that story. Uh, in John 21, when Jesus, the resurrected Christ, reveals himself, he's at the side of the boat, side of this, the, this, the shore. Peter sees him and the other disciples see him. Peter jumps in the water and swims, and then the rest row to shore. And I've always loved the image that one swims and one rows, but they're both on their way to Jesus. Hmm. And the goal of the Christian life is, you know, some people row, some people swim. But the goal has to be Jesus. Like, that is the ultimate goal. And if we make the goal anything else, then let that message be sent to hell because the goal of the Christian life is only Jesus. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is not an argument for some kind of pluralism. I'm, I am making a clear case that the goal of the Christian faith is Jesus and Jesus alone. And that sometimes in following Jesus, we figure out we've been wrong. Name one other religion, by the way, name one other religion where the sign that you're on the right path is your willingness to admit that you've been on the wrong path. Yeah. I mean, that, that is a, a unique contribution uh, of Christianity to the world. Um, we argue that the sign that you're on the right path is your constant willingness to say, I've been on the wrong path. Yep. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things about seasons of questioning or or or, or dark night of soul, right, that, that we hear in, in the Christian tradition is that sometimes there can be when we change our mind on things, it can affect our spirituality in, in unique ways as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I, I know for myself that when some of my ideas about God and the ways in which God works and relates to us as his people and began to change, some of my spirituality was called into question, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn how to, to relate to God anew, which was a very good thing. Just some of the ways that I was handed just didn't work anymore. Mm. And so how would you, in your own experience and, and working with other people as well, navigating some of their wrestling, how would you exhort our listeners to begin to think about how to begin to put their head and their heart back together? You know, some of us are more feeling people. Some of us are more brain people, head people. And, <clears throat> and, and, and those, those are part of our personality and, and, and they're, and they're good. But something dangerous starts to happen when we only orient one side of ourselves towards God. So, like, um, a, g- a good example of this would be um, when when we think about something like justice, right? When I'm when I'm when I'm on 
Twitter and I see how much injustice there is in the world, which is a pretty normal experience for me. I just see a bunch of stuff about how what's evil in the world. Um, it would be very easy for me to follow my heart in that in that pain and begin to ignore the brain part of me that knows scripture and knows the tradition of the church and knows the Bible and 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 whatnot. And and easily my heart can lead me from the mind. But I can equally tell you students of mine that have their brain has led them from their heart. They know Jesus and they're they're fullest of heart, but their mind has taken them. I think the goal is that the two, like a marriage, are constantly engaging with one another and that we are bringing the mind back to the heart and the heart back to the mind in that they are completely interspersed. Well, Jesus' commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you know, what does it mean for me to love God with my mind? What does it mean to love God with my heart? Well, I got to do that at the same exact moment. I would say, sorry, I may, I may have gotten off track, but actually the place where where both of those come back to Jesus to me is the context of lo- the local church. And mm-hmm. the more and more that I see faith separated from the local church, um, it, it somehow seems to start to separate parts of ourselves from each other. We need to embody our our whole selves needs to be into a whole community together. There needs to be the whole self in a whole community, um, and and when we do that, I th- I do think that has a profound implication for our, our our pursuit of Jesus. So, gosh, am I really answering the question with go to church? I think I am. I mean, I think I'm saying like there's something powerful about the weekly the weekly baptism into a local body of people that are loving Jesus together. That really matters. Makes a big I, difference. I think so too. And I think that because, like you said, we've all been created differently, um, there's a strength. I mean, this is biblical, right? It's what Paul calls us a body, that we're all mm-hmm. different parts. And when yes, we come together, yes. there's there's various ways that God wants to strengthen us together. And for those people who are um dealing with, you know, questions and mm-hmm. dealing with um difficult times in their life, that's that's that tends to be when people isolate themselves or are yes. isolated, but this, but it is exactly the time at which we most need one yes. another, right? Yes, yes, yes. The and 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 I'm not saying actually in those moments we need answers. I mean, in fact, when you read the the wisdom poetry of the, the Hebrew Bible, when you read the story of Job, Job had friends. He had three friends, um, the, and who, by the way, when he Job loses everything. Uh, and he is now sort of, he, he cuts himself. He goes, you know, he's broken at his core and these three friends come and sit with him. And actually they do everything right until they speak. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they speak, it's all downhill. What they should have done is they should have sat with their friend Job just to be with them because Job at that moment, the last thing Job needed uh, was a YouTube clip um, or a, a Bible project video or um, a, a, a video that would iron out his apologetic questions yeah. because you can't answer. You can't answer the, a, a scratch of the heart with an itch of the mind. You you have, there's something about being with people in their suffering and not offering an answer that provides that, that life. So when, yeah, when you're walking through your questions, yeah, we all of us have questions. For heaven's sake, I lose sleep over the Bible. 
But I don't think that the main thing I'm wrestling with is that I need one more Wikipedia article. More often than not, I just need somebody to sit with me in, in the question hmm. to allow me to be there and know that I'm not alone in it. Yeah. And I think it's instructive for us who are in the church. You know, sometimes it can be easy for us to jump to trying to just yes. make, rescue that person. Or yes. when, in fact, we're not the savior, we're not the rescuer. We're just supposed to be the kind of people who bring that person to. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the, the, yeah, the, the, um, the man, the paralytic, they couldn't get him in the front door. They take him to the roof. They lower him. The text is clear. Jesus doesn't see the man's faith. He sees the faith of those that carried him. That's right. He saw their faith. And by virtue of seeing their faith, um, he heals, heals the man. There is m- maybe nothing more sacred I was sitting on Sunday with a young man in our church, uh, wrestling with, uh, sat with him the whole service, that, and he just needed to talk out in the foyer about his identity, wrestling with his identity. That's the question of our generation is, is identity. Who am I? Yeah. And to be with him in the midst of his tears and his sorrow and his questions um, is, is it's tantamount to the disciples making room for Thomas when he was doubting because Thomas doubted the resurrection and the disciples make room for him in the midst of his questions. And it is because they make room for him in, in his questions. He's eventually able to see the resurrected Jesus. That's our task. And I, yeah. I believe as I sit with my friend on Sunday, Jesus, when he, when my friend doesn't have faith that Jesus sees my faith on his behalf and, mm. and I'm able to hold him, um, you know, when you're blind, it's really important who's holding your hand. Yes, um, we we all need somebody to hold our hand in those moments. That's exactly right. Do you ever struggle with prayer? Um, no, actually, that's the problem. Is I don't struggle with prayer. Yeah, um, is down. yeah, no, 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 no. I I literally mean that. Like the problem. I think my problem is that it is not a struggle enough for me. I do not. I do not make the requisite efforts needed to call it a struggle. I I am very reliant on, I, I say this as a confession, I'm not saying I'm proud of this. I sometimes have more faith in my Evernote files than I do in, in the Holy Spirit. Um, I sometimes have more faith in my capacity to get stuff done and be a type A three on the Enneagram. And trusting in God and actually spending time with God is extraordinarily difficult for me and my personality because I can get stuff done really fast. So more often than not, it's not a struggle because I'm not trying the way that I should. And I think actually the sign that I have a really healthy prayer life is if I said, yes, I'm struggling with it. I'm, and and right now I'm just not. Well, from one three to another, I do get it. Um, but, you know, I think, I think that's one of the, I think that's one of the, the interesting things about, questioning is that prayer can be such a great way not out of it but almost into it mm. and i i think i think i you know we see this in in the psalms right that oftentimes it's it's those times where people are most struggling where we don't want to pray and i find that oftentimes when we do turn to prayer that in express those things to God, that's oftentimes when we can be most fulfilled. And I wonder, and this is one of the things I'm trying to get at, um, is trying to help people see prayer as essential to to finding our way, not out of, but 
but in and through yes. times of questioning. Yes, prayer prayer is not a vaccine for questions. Um, and it's not somehow, way, shape, or form a way to run run out of the difficulties, right? The spirit led Jesus into the desert. Um and 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 the the direction of the spirit there is quite clear. It's not away from the desert. It's into the desert. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't. Here's one of the reasons that I don't like prayer. Um, is that when I actually do it, it requires me to come face to face with my own self and my own false self and my own. Um, it, it requires me to actually pay attention to the parts of my soul that I do not. Uh, like that I that I'm I'm embarrassed of that I'm ashamed of. And so I think part of the reason that we don't like to pray is that we don't have to look ourselves in the mirror. Prayer is a mirror yeah. in the sense that we see God, but we also see ourselves in light of God. And that that's a terrifying thing um to see. The rabbis actually there was there's a funny tradition among Jewish rabbis uh, that they call strange thoughts. And the idea is 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 the rabbis would often say that when they were closest to God in prayer was when they would struggle the most with like lust and like evil thoughts. And, and the idea was that when you actually enter into silence, the stuff from your soul that you've been shoving down week after week after week actually starts coming out and it starts like manifesting itself. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm really struggling with lust. Oh my gosh. I want to kill that person. Oh my gosh. I'm really mad at the church. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't know how to deal with that theological question. And that in the silence, all that stuff starts coming up. No wonder we don't want to pray. We, we spend our none of us. We don't even we don't even take our earphones out. We spend our entire life listening to music. Music is in every restaurant we go into, everything we're ever doing. We never have time to be quiet and listen to that stuff. I mean, we have just every tiny crack of inactivity has been filled up with something. Um, and it's it, it's it's we weren't made to we weren't made to do this. We, we were made we were made to have long seasons of time where we had to come face to face with ourselves in the presence of Jesus. Yeah, but it's I, a it's a hostile activity. I mean, it is it is downright hard. So, in other words, if you're listening to this podcast on your commute, turn this off <laughs> and just be silent. Yes, yes, yeah. Actually, Pete Scazzaro does this uh, his emotionally healthy leadership podcast. I've never heard anybody else do this. He will actually have episodes of silence so that you can listen to something and call it that you finished it, but it was silence. Oh, that's great. And isn't that creative? I, know, I, love that. I love that. I always fast forward through it because I want to get to the content, but I like that he does it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh my goodness. Man, this has been really good, AJ. And I want to, I want, I want to respect your time, but I would love to ask you this, this last question. You know, you've written a book on, how to stay rooted in the faith and actually grow into faith as you wrestle and as you as you question. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's if there's someone here that's perhaps listening, kind of in the middle of that, besides getting your book, which as I've already said, they should. Um, what what advice would you would you would you give them to not just not just kind of stay rooted in faith, but actually become more and more attached to Jesus as they're, as they're dealing with some of these, these big questions. Mm. Mm. Uh, My immediate response is, um, 
Well, let me give a little backstory. So um, for your listener, one of the things that happened in the Protestant Reformation was uh, following Martin Luther, uh, immediately following Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, the Protestant churches after 1511 um, did away with confession. And confession is the act of actually confessing your sins to a priest. And um, sadly, since then, confession has almost for pro- for most of us just been, I confess to God. Um, and, and I think we missed something. Um, we are told in the book of James to confess our sins one to another. And that as we do, we will be healed. The word healing there is a really interesting word, meaning yes. our bodies will be healed as we can physically confess. Um, I would say this. Um, find somebody that loves Jesus that you can confess to. And what I mean is you don't need a priest, uh, or I should say you don't need you don't need a priest who sits behind a veil on the other side, because in 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 the church we are all priests, the priesthood of all believers. And finding somebody that you can confess your sin is one of the most important things we can do to move towards healing. We all shove our shame and our guilt deep into our souls, and we don't bring it out. And the more and more we do that, the more and more we don't want anything to do with the God who has grace for us. Begin by finding somebody that you can trust, whom you can name sin to, and they can name sin back. And you both love each other and can forgive one another and can offer Christ's forgiveness to each other endlessly. I have found confession to be one of the most important and lost arts in our uh, in our world. And among Pentecostals and Charismatics, it's even worse. We th- we tell God, I'm sorry for our sins, and we never name it to anybody else. And I think we limit the amount of healing that God wants to do in us. Mm-hmm. This is why it's powerful uh, to have a spiritual director. This is why it's powerful to have a, a therapist that loves Jesus, somebody who can actually say over you, Jesus forgives you and loves you. And I say, I used to say, get a therapist. I don't say that anymore. You need a good therapist because there are a lot of therapists that are not good. Um, and to just say therapist, get one. No, you need a good therapist. And I think if you're a Christian, a really good therapist is somebody who's going to point you towards Jesus. I think that's really important. Yeah, no, I agree with that. You know, I, I think there is, you know, in uh, like the book of common prayer, there's this, uh, you know, this there's con- corporate confession. And then there's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the words of assurance, mm-hmm. you know, there's yes. something about to confessing and that there's also something about hearing that mm. indeed God has forgiven us. And I think that it's, going back to prayer, when we deal with that deep-seated shame in us, yes. I think that can open us up to kind of what you said is like a lot of those things are not popping up as much. Like we still have them, yes. right? Yes. But those things are not, we're not running away from prayer in the same way that we would. Because like you said, when we get silent, All of these things begin creeping up. So I love that practical discipline. AJ, thank you so much for this, man. I know you keep a full schedule, so it really means a lot you come and and share with me and share with our listeners. And uh, again, means a lot. Thank you. Andrew, the, the gratitude is mutual. Continue to write for the church. We need theologians who write for the church. We've got enough theologians that write for theologians. And you're a theologian who writes for the church, and, and it's a gift. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to episode two, where I talk with my friend, AJ Swoboda. If you are interested in going deeper, I have a whole book on these ideas and actually how to begin to reconstruct faith 
and move beyond deconstruction to a more full, holistic spirituality. It just came out with Cascade Books. You can get it on Amazon or pretty much anywhere books are sold. Really look forward to some more podcasts to be dropped in the coming weeks. They're going to be dropped every single week, so make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And really looking forward to sharing more conversations with future guests. Thanks so much, everybody, and we will catch you next episode.